With some of us continuing to work and learn from home, high-speed, reliable internet access is as important as ever. But for those who perhaps simply can't afford it, or for those in rural areas with less reliable internet access, the challenges associated with working from home are even more complicated. So today we're going to be diving into what some of those challenges are and how organizations, ISPs, and future technologies could even fix them. Stick around. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Boship, and I'm here with Zias Caravalla, the founder and principal analyst of ZK Research. Zias, thank you so much for calling in and chatting with me about this. Yeah, thanks, Julia. It's uh, it's great to be here. I think this is a, as you, as you mentioned in the opening, this is an incredibly important topic, one that I think is much more important than most people realize. Uh, unless you've been affected by it, you, you may have no idea that these problems actually exist. Absolutely. So we're, you know, about six-ish months home from work from home, learn from, learn from home, stay at home orders across the U.S. Um, obviously, different countries are in a bit of different circumstances, but we're going to be focusing on the U.S. today. So I'm curious if we can talk a little bit just to start off about what some of the challenges were as- associated with Internet access were, you know, back in March and whether or not, you know, ISPs have really <sighs> focused in on those challenges and fix them within, you know, these six months? Yeah, just to give you, uh, I guess, you know, kind of a level setting here. Um, I do have some sort of interesting data points. Uh, I think Cisco, they publish an annual internet report every year, and they had um, stated that uh, uh, there were 5.3 billion internet users today around the globe. 3.6 are actually con- uh, connected devices per capita, but the average broadband speed around the world is only 110 megabits per second. So, can you, I don't know if you can imagine having to do all the things to do over 100 megabits per second, but broadband actually, because of COVID, has become an essential part of education, of working, of of, of healthcare, even recreational activities in a lot of ways. Now we, we're watching, we can't go to live sporting events, we watch them on TV, we can't go to the gym, so we do a lot of at-home training. And so without reliable internet access, we can't really do anything. Now, if you look at the period of time between um, December 2019 and March 2020, I think it was, the OECD reported that there, and this was at the start of the pandemic, there was a 60% traffic increase at the internet exchange points. And so that's where a lot of the ISPs come together. And that was, we were literally crushing our, our networks. And a lot of the ISPs have had to upgrade their networks and things, but even if they upgrade their network, the backhaul that they have needs to be upgraded as well. Their internet peers, um, uh, uh, they also have to be upgraded. Uh, you you want to focus on the U.S. and I can tell you that 60 million Americans today, uh, they make up about 19.3 uh, percent of the total population live in rural areas, and in those rural areas, people don't have reliable internet access. So in suburban areas, about 80 percent of the population have good, high quality broadband. That's only 60 percent in rural areas. Uh, even the access to smartphones and computers, you see like a 20 to 30% decrease. And so rural broadband in the U.S. is a, uh, you know, is a significant problem. There just isn't enough bandwidth. There are other countries around the, around the world that have national broadband policies. We still don't. And uh, I think it's something that um, societally is something our government has kind of ignored. 
And I think later into our conversation, we can perhaps shift into, you know, what specifically ISPs can do to lighten the load, I guess, or ease the burden on rural communities and make sure that they have internet access. But I'm curious from sort of an IT perspective, if you are, you know, in your IT, within your organization, your IT department probably deployed some solutions at the beginning of the pandemic as everyone worked from home. But those solutions are only as good as your home internet access, right? So if you're working in, if I'm, you know, an IT admin or I'm working in the IT department, but I've got an employee who can't even access any of our corporate networks through a VPN, for example, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, it's an interesting challenge for IT. And just to give you a sense of my background, before I was an analyst, actually, I was in corporate IT. And I never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine that IT people would be worried about people at home and how they're connected in. That was sort of the access of luxury, right? And if people didn't have reliable access, well, they just didn't work from home, but now it's a necessity. I do think there are ways, obviously people are connecting in with VPNs and even if they're using satellite access or stuff, there are ways to optimize that traffic. Um, I think Riverbed makes a cloud accelerator that'll actually remove the number of packets on the network. Uh, obviously, with voice and video traffic, there's not much you can do about it. You can't accelerate video traffic because it's real time, right? And so the bandwidth is the bandwidth. There are some best practices IT can preach, though. You could tell people that if you um, if you're on a meeting call, you know, something like this, like a Zoom call, and you're not um, uh, presenting or you're not on if you're not actually speaking, then turn your video off and that'll save a lot of bandwidth. And you can have people monitor it that way. But the, if you don't have good access, there's not a lot you can do. Now, I think from an IT perspective, I have heard more and more companies taking responsibility and paying for that. They, they get corporate deals that way. I think it's a benefit to the employee because a lot of the benefits employees had when they used to go in the office, things like free lunches and the gym and stuff like that's all gone, right? So I, I do think companies are now looking at other ways to attract employees or retain employees and paying for broadbands. One of them, and I do think that they can help with that. I, I also think that if they have reliable 4G access, maybe they don't have good wired access, you can get mobile hotspots, right? The little uh, Verizon AT&T T-Mobile 4G cards. I personally have one of those because I use it when I can't actually get reliable wired access. So that provides a, a good primary connection where you don't have it, but an also an alternative connection if your primary goes down. So there, it's it's not like a total lost cause. Uh, there are some places where you can supplement it with cellular access, uh, but um, you know it's uh, it, it's tough. It's You have to handle each one almost by a case-by-case -case basis. And if you have thousands of employees, that's thousands of man hours that you're solving this. Yeah. And I think for you know the individual employee or for the individual student, the onus really isn't on them to be able to, you know, seek out their own um, wireless connection because sometimes they either, like I've mentioned uh, at the start of this video, they either simply can't afford it or there just aren't a lot of options in the, their area. So this is maybe perhaps like a two-part, a little bit of a loaded question, but I think that in general, whose responsibility is it to ensure that people have reliable internet access? Is it an ISP problem or is it the institutions that require it? How can they sort of juggle that? Well, it, it's hard for me to, to blame the ISP because those companies run as businesses, right? And if you look at the way the phone system was built out, we had an act called the Universal Services Act that guaranteed reliable phone service to everybody in the country. And so if you were 
say a rural ILAC, like I don't know, North Pittsburgh Telecom or something, you got subsidized from the government to build up the phone network because delivering phone service to a community with 10 people is a lot more expensive and a lot less profitable than delivering phone service to a community with a million people, right? And so if I'm an ISP and I have to go into those rural areas, there's not a lot in it for me to do so, right? So unless there's some government funded and, and just so you know, since the pandemic did start, we have had a number of rural broadband funding programs put in place, but now it's up to the ISPs to go take advantage of those programs. So it's hard for me to put it on the ISP unless the money's there. Um, the institutions that require it could do more. I think when you come to when it comes to schools, they're requiring students to work from home. They're requiring teachers to teach from home. Well, in those kind of cases, they should be looking at um, what kind of internet access they have. If they don't have high quality one, maybe they can find a co-working space or something that's nearby that they can to go to, something like that. Because I think um, I, I do think you know from a, um, especially when you get down into this the, the school age. Uh, a problem. I think it's up to the school then to make sure that everybody has good enough access. They can be educated properly. Otherwise, it creates this big division. From a corporate perspective, if you're an IT manager, I think that is where if your employees don't have reliable access, you need to go do some work and do some research and find out what's available, even if it's satellite access, right? Satellite is often known as the internet access of last resort. But <laughs> if there isn't anything else available, yeah, it's expensive. You got to put a dish on on the house. But that maybe the difference in being be, having an employee that's productive and one that's not. So it, it's not, there's no s single person or single entity whose responsibility this is. It's really a combination of those. And it's, it's frankly, it's situationally dependent. Sure. And just to sort of expand on the points that you've made, if, a, if, you know, providing internet access to rural communities, for example, or, you know, perhaps um, offering discounts or subsidies for, lower income communities or families, people who need internet access, isn't always profitable for the ISPs. What options do these communities currently have? Like if I've got to work from home, if I've got to learn from home, what should I be looking at? Yeah, well, so th there are um, uh, there are programs in place for the ISPs. Like this year, the government put in place a 5G fund for rural America, where they'll spend about $9 million over the next 10 years. Then 2019, there was a Secure and Trusted Communications Network Act that will kick in a billion dollars uh, over 10 years uh, for rural broadband. In 2019, there was something called ARDOF, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, uh, which brings $20 million in two phases uh, that the FCC will fund for rural broadband. So there are programs out there. I, I think one of the issues is that the a lot of times these programs are the funding is so complicated to get that when you're sure if you're you know comcast or verizon or something you have the personnel to go fill out all the forms and stuff but if you're a small ILEC or a small broadband operator in the middle of you know some remote area you may not have the technical wherewithal to fill these things out so i do think the government can make it easier um uh i think uh outside of that uh communities could actually look at it if you look at a lot of third world countries, communities will form cooperatives to, to bring in a high speed connection into the community and then distribute access from there. And even if it's the point of you have to go to a common area to work and with, with COVID that might be, yeah, you have to maintain social distancing and all that. But I do think the communities could look at doing that. I, my, my home country, Canada, 
there's a lot of uh, communities that do that where they pull fiber to the schools. The schools are wired up and then the school will provide uh, um, uh, access to the community. So there are different ways around that. I think the, the communities that don't have it really should be looking at doing some sort of cooperative program. It's very common in, in underserved countries uh, to do that. It's not ideal, but at least it's a solution. Right. And another solution that you mentioned, of course, is 5G. And I think so often, and certainly here on our channel, we discuss it at length. And a bit of a caveat with 5G has always been, yeah, it'll be awesome, but it's not really here right now. And even when it is here, you know, there's going to be associated fees with carriers and making sure that you have an actual physical device that uses 5G. So, I'm curious a little bit. I do want to hear about how 5G could help in these circumstances, but I'm curious too for in rural in rural areas, this 5G is going to be huge. But for someone who, like I've said from the beginning, simply can't afford Wi-Fi, what are the unique hurdles associated with 5G? Yeah, 5G is interesting. First of all, uh, if you look at the coverage maps from the mobile operators, a lot of the rural areas are actually left out of it, right? So you see the T-Mobile map that's all pink, and then there's a bunch of empty spots, and the empty spots are the rural areas. So assuming that we get 5G into those areas, and again, this is a way where from a community perspective, from a cooperative perspective, if they were to go to a mobile operator, it might convince them to put a tower in their area. But you're right, there is a cost associated with that, although generally... Um, I, I, when I look at the pricing, proposed pricing from, for, from the mobile operators, 5G isn't likely to be any more expensive than 4G. I don't think they're making any more money off 5G than 4, but they're spending a bunch of money to do that. I think they'll try and sell you the services like security and things. I, I do think that um, 5G in some ways is getting easier to deploy. I think if you look at the equipment manufacturers, um, the fact that we have software-defined networking transport today makes it easier to extend networks into more places. And then the cloud, the the 5G infrastructure is actually built cloud native now. So these things can be deployed uh, right from the cloud and and you need less equipment down on the ground because uh, more, of, more of that stuff's done in the cloud. So I think there is innovation coming. Um, and you know that when you combine those things with open access, um, uh, you know, we, from all the different license spectrum and things like that. It, uh, um, and, and there are some 5G spec, there is some 5G spectrum now that's completely open. Um, it does remove the closed nature from that. I, I do think that um, we will likely see some alternative carriers pop up, um, you know, regional ones that offer CBRS type services that I think can be used in rural areas. So, um, you know, the, the things are coming, uh, but uh, I don't think the, the I don't think cost will be a huge hurdle. I think if you can afford a mobile phone today, you should be able to afford a 5G one down the road. Um, and then you could actually use that as a Wi-Fi hotspot if you wanted to. But um, uh, but it will take longer to reach the rural areas than it will to, say, the you know 30 NFL cities, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, too, shifting back to a bit of how this is going to be, you know, an enterprise issue perhaps, is what the longer-term effects of the lack of internet access really means. we d- And you did mentioned correctly so at the beginning of our video here is that this is not a new problem. It's just especially amplified because now we all need to be home and we can't go to the common places that perhaps we once relied on for reliable internet access. You know, we can't go to work. We can't go to school. We can't go to Starbucks. Wherever you're going, the library, 
the co-working spaces. We can't go there anymore. So what are some of the longer term implications of the lack of internet access? And if, you know, underserved communities don't receive it, what could that mean for the future? What could that mean for enterprises? Yeah, it's an interesting question because if you're a CIO or a business leader, you, you might think, what do I care about the rural areas, right? But one of the <clears throat> one of the big lessons that um, we've learned from COVID is that you don't need to be in the office. And so there's many companies, you look, Twitter's announced this, LinkedIn's announced this, right? They're not going back to the office. They're staying indefinitely remote. And one of the advantages they talk about is they can hire talent from anywhere, right? So that's true kind of if they have good internet access. So companies might be looking at trying to expand their workforce. Uh, we've, we've already heard about this massive exodus from cities that you know, people are having expensive cities, New York, San Francisco, places like that. People are moving and they're moving out to you know, Montana, Idaho, the Carolinas, things like that. And so if you're a company and you're trying to hire the best people and that you hire somebody and they can't collaborate properly with your company over video, then that investment was wasted or it removes that, right? So there's that immediate issue. I think longer term, what we're at risk at here is there's already a big economic divide in this country. And that economic divide generally has led to an educational divide. And I think a lack of quality broadband could create a bigger one, which means the hiring pool that you have in the future becomes much smaller because the underserved communities didn't get the right education in place and those those kids didn't go to you know, the, the better schools and things like that. So I think it creates a, a much smaller pool of people. If you look at right now at the statistics, the U.S. is already in the bottom half of the world when it comes to STEM, right, which is frankly embarrassing because this is where all the innovation comes from. And uh, I, I think we're, we're putting that at risk. And so I think there, uh, I'd like to see more business leaders step up. We've seen them uh, step up in the areas of you know, inclusion, diversity, things like that. And this this is something that's really flown under the radar, but I think it's something that the, the, the business community should rally around and step up here. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Zias, for calling in and chatting with me about this. It is a certainly a pervasive issue and also certainly one that is not going to go away, but hopefully there are going to be some tangible solutions soon. So it just makes everything, it makes, you know, internet access should not be, it should be equitable for everyone. So I really appreciate you calling yeah. in and chatting. No, thank you. Yeah, it was John Chambers, I think, that said uh, way back in the day that it was that the internet and education were the two great equalizers in the world, right? So we have all the educational tools, but we still don't have internet everywhere. And that's, uh, you know, frankly, we're 20 years after he said that. So it's a, uh, you know, the, uh, this, this is, this takes an effort from our governments and our businesses and uh, really everybody to solve. And I think we're focused on it. We can. Absolutely. Perfect closing note. So thank you so much again for calling in. I really appreciate it. Thank and you. thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, be sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel and hit the bell icon in the corner so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If you have any com comments, questions, or thoughts about um, internet access, perhaps you have struggled with finding reliable internet access in your community. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts and your experiences, so please leave them in the comments below. Thanks again for watching, and I'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.